You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, Tesla beats the first major U.S. car maker to report first quarter results, and they don't disappoint. Uh, the company is weathering supply issues, rising costs, and production delays, while its CEO explores buying Twitter. Plus, Netflix still falling down 35% on the day, making it the S&P's worst performer of the year so far. Is the solution ads? Gaming? Just better content? Or maybe a big buyer like Apple? We'll explore all scenarios. And as public markets fall, the CEO of Amazon Web Services tells me he's open to deals of all sizes. Adam Solipsky joins me here in the studio on the heels of the AWS Summit in San Francisco. We'll explore the future of the cloud. And well, what about Amazon as a buyer? for Twitter. Lots to get to. I want to start by digging deeper into Tesla's results. I'm joined now by Steve Wesley, founder of the Wesley Group. He was an early investor in Tesla and is a former Tesla board member. Okay, Steve, there's a lot going on here. The call's going to start uh, a little bit later in our show. We're going to hear what Elon has to say live. But let's talk about the headline numbers first. How is it that Tesla is managing all of these very difficult challenges out there, from a chip crisis to inflation to, you know, a production shutdown in Shanghai? so well? Well, first, Tesla blew away the numbers once again, posting 310,000 vehicles delivered. That's a big number. They were predicted to deliver uh, 17.86 billion, and it looks like they're going to beat that by a good margin. Folks, this is 71% year-over-year growth, annual growth, off a big number, and posting their 11th profitable quarter on top of that. The real story is, They've just opened two new facilities in Austin and Berlin. They're sitting on four massive production facilities, and they just have capacity that others don't. 
Elon is saying he predicts Tesla will deliver 1.4 million cars this year. I think he's going to produce at least 1.6 million. If they do that, they could be on their way to becoming a $1 trillion company. We'll see. There's been concern that Elon Musk's interest in Twitter could potentially distract him from Tesla. We've seen Tesla shares take a leg down since this whole drama has unfolded. Of course, we'll have to see uh, where markets close tomorrow. Uh, but what's your take on that? Can he do all of this at once? Well, it, look, <laughs> if, if you're a Tesla shareholder, you probably want to stay focused on Tesla. Uh, only Elon and Twitter's board know what is going to happen there. As you know, he offered his best and final offer, $43 billion last week. They responded with a poison pill. Uh, look, Elon's not one to take no for an answer, but heading Tesla, SpaceX and Twitter, it, it feels like a stretch to me. But people have lost a lot of money betting against uh, Tesla. The one thing I know for sure, this one's going to be exciting. Indeed. If you can build rockets to Mars, why not try to buy Twitter? It certainly seems much That's more reasonable. To Mars. <laughs> Indeed. All right. So let's talk about the challenges that lie ahead for Tesla, given the chip crisis ongoing, given rising inflation, given a pandemic that's not over. I mean, there's reports that uh, workers at the Tesla plant in Shanghai are planning to sleep there to avoid further lockdowns. How well do you think the company will continue to navigate all of these things through the rest of the year? Look, there's a lot going on in the auto industry. And generally speaking, I would say if you're an investor in auto companies, you need to be careful because you're seeing huge supply chain challenges. Most of these other companies don't even have their factories up and running, and we could be heading into a recession. And precisely at the same time, all that's going on, there are 20 new EV companies coming into the market, Rivian, Lucid, you've heard all the names. But the reality is, it's hard to make EVs. And you're seeing Rivian and Lucid already backtracking on numbers, pulling numbers down. Ford and General Motors dramatically lower numbers than people had expected. Ford, fewer than 7,000 EVs delivered this quarter. General Motors, less than 1,000. So I, I think the takeaway here is Tesla is lapping the competition when most of the other automakers are just getting buckled in. Uh, let's see how it shakes out. There's also, of course, what you mentioned, the R word, recession, inflation on the rise. Are people going to want to buy new cars right now? Maybe Tesla is the best at making EVs, but does it matter if people aren't buying them? So that's the big issue. You know, on the one hand, if you go down to the Tesla dealership now, they're going to tell you 8, 10, 12-month wait. So there's a huge demand there. The question is, will that cool off in Q2 or Q3? Looks to me like there's a lot of pent-up demand. Tesla will take advantage of it because they have got four plants going now. And by the way, a uh, are in the process of doubling capacity of their plant in Shanghai. By the way, j just for the viewers, if you can picture this, you've all been to a Costco. The Tesla facility in China is 10 million square feet. That's the size of 100 Costco's placed next to each other. These are huge facilities. Theirs are up and running, others aren't. Tesla also did something smart. They've put supply chain contracts with firms you've probably never heard of, like Vail, the world's largest nickel uh, producer. So they know where the supply, uh, supply is coming from, and they've got, I think, a leg up on supply chain. Now, it, it, how is and how big a recession is coming? 
that's hard to predict. Right now, they're in the catbird seat. Uh, meantime, Steve, in the uh, long list of other things that Elon Musk has to deal with, there is this lawsuit over that tweet that he sent in 2018, funding secured. He's being sued by shareholders over this. He had asked a judge if he could continue tweeting about it, making comments about it. Uh, you know, As the suit is ongoing, a judge has now ruled that, yes, he can. He's not going to be muzzled. What do you make of this particular situation, the fact that this is going on now almost five years? So, look, you've got a guy who's hitting it out of the park with SpaceX, out of the park with Tesla. Um, would I advise him to get into a, uh, a, a pissing match with the SEC or the government? Probably not. But... Elon is nothing if not genuine. He, as I said before, people have lost a lot of money betting against him. Uh, we'll see how this shakes out. It's really only up to the SEC to decide. Personally, I'd love to see him staying focused on building great vehicles because right now he's doing a heck of a good job of that. All right. Steve Wesley, founder of the Wesley Group, early investor in Tesla, early Tesla board member. Always great to have your perspective here on the show. from the Amazon Web Services Summit right here in San Francisco. Amazon has taken a new step toward getting all of its power from green sources by 2025. The world's largest online retailer has reached deals to boost its access to renewable energy by almost a third. Most of it will come from solar farms in the United States. It will be used to supply Amazon's offices, warehouses, and data centers. Meantime, Adam Salipsky, CEO of AWS, joined me here on the set in San Francisco. We're going to get to that conversation momentarily, but first I want to get back to our Ed Ludlow, who's been following Tesla's results. Ed, we're now just minutes away from the Tesla earnings call. Normally how this goes, I believe Elon jumps on, right. muddles through some prepared remarks, and then goes off the cuff, right? Yeah, he kind of respectfully mumbles through prepared remarks before passing on to Zach Kirkhorn, who's the CFO, sometimes Drew Baglino, who's the SVP of powertrain and energy, but he often interjects. But as you know, Em, today is 420. I know, nothing's happened yet. And I've nothing, been waiting. We were all happened. expecting a big moment. Exactly, so a lot of Twitter <laughs> users took to Twitter and said, oh, I wonder if Elon Musk, tagging him in the tweet, at Elon Musk, will be on the call. He replied. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot going on in Elon Musk's world right now. The bid for Twitter, Tesla having a great quarter in the first quarter, SpaceX doing really well. There's just intense interest here. But what is it we want to know from him? Probably, if he's not going to talk about Twitter, the outlook for Cybertruck, the outlook for Semi-Truck, these kind of new products. Because that's what he does. He keeps investors looking to the horizon. So could we hear something more dramatic from him on the Tesla earnings call? Could that be the moment that he chooses to do some sort of reveal or make a move? If I was a betting man, yes, why not? <laughs> All right, we'll be listening into that call as it starts momentarily, Ed. Thank you. Meantime, back to that conversation with Adam Salipsky, the CEO of AWS. As I mentioned, a slew of new announcements, including 37 new renewable energy projects, a $30 million commitment to startups led by diverse founders. My conversation with Adam Salipsky earlier, talking about the future of AWS and the cloud and two major Amazon Web Services outages. Late last year, I asked what he learned from that. Take a listen. 
Availability is absolutely critical. I mean, our, our first priority is always security, and immediately following that, uh, operational performance, including availability. And uh, overall, if you look at the 16-year operating history of AWS, and even if you look at you know shorter periods, the last year, the last three years, uh, we've been highly reliable. We've been highly available. We've had better availability track records than uh, other large cloud providers. Uh, certainly better than uh, really any enterprise I've talked to has been able to achieve in their own data centers. So but any evidence you've lost customers as a result of those? No, outages? we've had a lot of conversations. I mean, we uh, we had a couple days, of course, in December, which uh, you know were not not good operational days, and we own that, by the way. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't we don't run away from that. Um, and uh, we learned from them and have been uh, really trying to take whatever lessons we could to make ourselves even more reliable. But as we've talked to customers, uh, they've, they've really all you know, understood that um, while we you know, don't like what happened on a day like that at all, if, because of our customers' hurt, you know, we, we feel the hurt too, that we uh, really have a, a very strong track record and, and that keeps the partnership strong. People have been asking for years whether AWS should be spun off from Amazon. Do you spend any time thinking about this or thinking about the hypothetical benefits? Uh, really only with folks like you, as it turns out. Uh, no, honestly not. We, we have no current plans to spin out AWS. Uh, we think that uh, our customers are very well served by having uh, AWS be a part of Amazon. In fact, so many, an increasing number of the conversations I have with uh, particularly big enterprises, uh, they want to make use of the capabilities that Amazon has across the company, whether it's uh, energy companies want, uh, wanting to uh, sell us power whether it's auto manufacturers who have electric vehicles that we need for our delivery fleets, whether it's uh, telcos who want to deliver 5G-enabled services to their consumers around things like entertainment and, and Amazon Prime Video. Okay, but Andy Jassy might have said he never thought about a stock split. And recent events show that even in this environment, sometimes we have to revisit those sacred cows. Has the idea of a split ever come up in a conversation with Andy or Jeff? Uh, it's, it's really not a topic of conversation. We, we're very squarely focused on the way we're operating today. We, we honestly do not have any plans of which I'm aware to uh, really entertain a, a split off of AWS. We think uh, the way that we're organized now is, is actually very good for customers. That said, the market is changing. Valuations are dropping if you look at what's happening in the macro environment. How is this impacting your strategy around acquisitions? We've seen Microsoft be really opportunistic. Uh, well, we've we've been very consistently done acquisitions over the really the whole history of AWS. Uh, I'd say that um, overall our strategy has been to do smaller uh, tuck-in acquisitions. Part of that is because we're trying to build a complete infrastructure platform, and we want the whole thing to operate as a single platform. Casual spectators often point out that Amazon doesn't really have a social play. Does Amazon need a social play? C could it be? Could a Twitter make sense? Uh, well, that I don't know, but we certainly, uh, I mean, a big part of all of Amazon's businesses and, and our strategy in the different businesses revolve around partners and our ecosystem. It's certainly true in AWS. It's true in other parts of the business as well. So uh, we're, we're, we're very close to uh, many companies with a, a very strong social presence, you know, be it as, as AWS customers or in our retail business for customer acquisition and uh, customer messaging, doing more and more in, uh, in the retail business with the shopping experience using social 
social channels. So we're very intertwined with social media uh, companies and, and I would imagine across all of our business we'll, we'll continue to be closely intertwined. One of those is Meta, which recently picked Amazon as its long-term cloud provider. I'm curious if Meta is just giving you a piece of their business or if this is a step towards them getting out of their own data center business. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think you have to ask them that. Uh, but uh, we've been working with them for quite a while, but uh, we and they did announce recently that they were uh, doing a significant amount of their uh, uh, machine learning workloads uh, on AWS and would be doing more of that going forward. And um, we really uh, love that as the next development in our long-term partnership with them. Um, I do think there's a, a lot of things that we can do with, uh, with companies like that together. Um, the, the economics, the agility, the flexibility of operating in the cloud are, um, are just so strong and powerful. And even for large, sophisticated, uh, cost-effective uh, companies, uh, there's still a lot of benefits to operating in the cloud. And, uh, how much companies like that move to the cloud, move to AWS, will be a function of how well do we understand and anticipate their needs and how well can we build in a way that's uh, you know, really effective for them for, for their own customer acquisition and retention. There's a lot of new exciting technologies out there. Andy recently said that Amazon could potentially sell NFTs in the future. How do you think about NFTs, blockchain, Web3, the metaverse? Where's the opportunity there for AWS? Where do you want to play? Boy, there's just a lot of buzzwords in that sense, aren't there? <laughs> there are, uh, and yeah. so we're wondering what the actual market opportunity is. Uh, well, fundamentally, you know, what we want to do is to enable all of the underlying technologies that our customers, that AWS customers need to build all of those things, to build the metaverse, to build you know, 3D computing, uh, to build uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency applications. And uh, we're currently doing that. So if you look at, uh, I mean, gaming companies are often where people start when they talk about, you know, quote unquote, metaverse companies. And if you look at companies like Riot Games, if you look at Epic, uh, they're both you know, very deep uh, AWS customers. Uh, if you look at Meta, which is, of course, even uh, had, had a name change, um, uh, we're doing you know, more with them over time, which is, uh, which is really gratifying. And so uh, we also do a lot. At, we have blockchain services. Uh, and if you look at um, uh, things like uh, Ethereum, 25% of Ethereum workloads in the world you know, run on AWS. So we're doing you know, more and more around blockchain, around uh, ledger technology, uh, around 3D and, and spatial computing, which is going to be an important part uh, of the metaverse. And uh, the AWS strategy is to really, again, try and be uh, uh, as far out ahead of where those you know, emerging metaverse company demands and blockchain and cryptocurrency uh, customer demands are going to be and, uh, and to deliver really great innovative services. Amazon Web Services CEO Adam Salipsky there. You can catch that full interview at Bloomberg.com. Get an update on the Musk Twitter saga continuing to go viral. Elon Musk now reaching out to potential financing partners across Wall Street. But the question is, is he having any luck? I'm going to bring in Bloomberg's Michelle Davis for more on that. Michelle, who's actually considering this? Yeah, so, you know, as we know, the most interesting, one of the most interesting parts about Musk's bid for Twitter is that he did it, made it public without having the financing lined up. We know that as of now, he has started to have financing conversations with potential financing partners. At this point, he's only 
focused on raising debt. Um, it's our understanding that he has yet to initiate conversation ar around, you know, raising equity. Um, and so it's his bank, Morgan Stanley, reaching out to other big banks, um, reaching out to, we understand Apollo has agreed to participate, help, you know, finance through debt uh, this offer. Um, but at this point, we also know that there are a couple firms like Blackstone, Brookfield, and Vista that have uh, at this point said, you know, we kind of want to stay away from this situation and we're not going to help provide any financing. Do you have any context on how much, how these conversations are actually going? Is he putting pressure uh, on, on potential investors here? Like, hey, if you work with me, you get the benefits of, of working with me. And I've got, obviously, a huge portfolio. Yeah, I mean, so that's one of the, the big questions that we're trying to find out is how exactly would a deal be structured? Um, some things that have been floated are, you know, maybe investors could come in and they might have some certainty baked in that they would have veto power over what Musk says. But at this point, it's very, we know very little. We just know that they are reaching out to other banks, other financing sources. Morgan Stanley is a bank that's advising uh, Elon Musk. And so it's our understanding that, you know, they would help uh, with provide some of the financing for him. But um, yeah, uh, unclear exactly, uh, you know, how it will be structured. How long could it take before it becomes clear whether he has the mon money or not? So quickly? Elon Musk has indicated that he wants to make a, an official tender offer at some point soon. You know, he, he made a cryptic tweet last night that, you know, blank is the day. And so before he does that tender offer, he's going to need to have the financing right. lined up. Um, so soon, uh, one would think, but... <laughs> Well, uh, it is 4.20. I was waiting for something to happen today, but uh, we've still got a few more hours. Michelle Davis, thank you so much. I know it's disappointing for investors, and it is for sure. It's just a softer seasonal quarter for us. We have this uh, addressable uh, market that's expanding over time. Internally, we're really geared up, and this is like our moment to shine. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Clips from the Netflix earnings call. I want to stick with Netflix, bring in Ross Gerber, whose investment firm Gerber Kawasaki is also an investor in Netflix. Ross, this has got to hurt. Yeah, well, you know, it hurts for sure on the short term. But if you're a long-term investor like we are, I, I bought a little bit myself today, to be honest. Why? Why do you think well, the sell-off is overdone? Is Why do you see potential? Well, it's, what's changed is, is really, in my mind, two things. Number one, I don't really see the competition as really being the biggest issue from other streamers. The competition is with real life, and real life is back, and people are going out, and people are going to Vegas, and people are going to Disneyland, and the problem is they're just watching less Netflix, and, and when you look at how many people are getting Netflix for free and what that addressable market is, which is actually a third of their total subscribers. Um, Netflix still has a lot of room they can grow. I think another thing a lot of people are talking about is this could be a byproduct of the work from home culture. You know, Netflix has really struggled with the work from home culture because making movies and, and content is a collaborative process and it's been very difficult. And Netflix has called all their employees back into the office that's starting, I think, this month. And I think Reed Hastings and the team there are the smartest people in Hollywood, and they're going to figure out new ways to monetize their brand. And I think we just have to change the metrics that we're valuing Netflix with towards earnings growth and away from subscriber growth. And when you look at that, you know, Netflix is a very cheap stock. 
So let's talk about the ways that they could unlock new growth. One, cracking down on password sharing. How much growth is that really going to unlock? Then, of course, there's the idea of an ad-supported model, a tiered model, gaming, or maybe it's just making better content, which of all of those options seems to be the hardest. Well, better content is, is sort of a nonsensical thing. Right now, they have the most watched shows on television currently. Uh, I think it's Inventing Anna, which my wife is uh, watching, like, nonstop. They have the best producers in Hollywood, and they have every great project in Hollywood. So the content isn't the issue. Uh, they, the issue is monetizing the content in ways that they haven't in the past. And I'm a big believer that Netflix needs to reinvent the theater experience around their shows and movies. And there's many ways they can monetize between merchandise, events, and communities they could build around their content, which they currently are not. Secondly, you've mentioned two, I think, very important areas, which is an ad-supported Netflix light, which they take zero dollars in on ad revenue. And you look at a model like YouTube and how much money they're printing on advertising and the engagement. Netflix has the same engagement level as YouTube. And if they ran ads, they would be very successful. And I would advertise on Netflix for sure, you know. And so that's another thing. And then, of course, half the people in my office don't actually pay for Netflix. So I asked them, you know, well, what would get you to pay? And it's the same thing with iTunes and music where people didn't want to pay until it became a hassle to do it. So Netflix can employ several strategies to start monetizing these users. And we suspect they could capture another 20, 30 million users, maybe at a lower rate of cost, but I mean, of revenue, but but certainly there's a lot of growth when you got 100 million subs who aren't paying. All right, Ross, you are also a Tesla shareholder, and the Tesla earnings yeah. call has begun. We've been listening to the CFO deliver some prepared remarks, and Elon Musk is speaking now. We're going to bring you headlines as those roll in. But curious what your thoughts are on the results. Look, Tesla, <laughs> Tesla's had a better report than, than certainly Netflix yesterday, but a lot going on in the world of Elon Musk. Does it bother you <laughs> as an investor that there are all of these many distractions? Well, clearly they're not affecting Tesla's focus. Um, you know, Elon sort of lives on another planet we call Mars, and he doesn't sleep, and he has a tremendous passion for making the world a better place uh, and doing it profitably. Um, how he's executed with such a difficult supply chain environment and manufacturing environment further shows the dominance and the moat that Tesla has built around their business and, and the foresight that Elon has in being able to deliver so many vehicles profitably in this environment where no other company is doing that in their industry, whether it's traditional cars or EVs. So where I think the lack of focus at Netflix has caused them to drift a little bit and now creating an opportunity for long-term investors, Tesla obviously is a fully valued company that's executing really, really well, and I think will continue to for a long time. So this is really a special time for Tesla because next year looks even better than this year, and they're executing beautifully. Uh, the CFO has been digging into this idea of, uh, you know, the impact of the production shutdown in Shanghai, right. saying they lost about a month of build volume there. They're working back to, to get full product to full production as quickly as possible. But how big of a concern is this ongoing, given that the Shanghai factory is such a linchpin of Tesla's production strategy? 
Yeah, and I don't want to minimize the concern because I think this is the biggest risk to many companies, not just Tesla right now, which is China's failed COVID policies are creating huge problems, not just at Tesla, but also at companies like Apple and others in the hardware business and technology. So we're seeing, and other industries as well. So we're seeing continued disruption even worse than we saw earlier, which sucks. So, you know, I, I don't have a spin on that. What I do think is they are opening, they just opened two new factories and two new markets that aren't in China, and there couldn't be a better time for that to happen. But what I do suspect is that China is going to be challenging for Tesla over the next six months. I think it's a short-term issue, and I think it will hurt production on the short term, but I think they're going to make it up in the other factories because I think what we're going to see is tremendous uh, productivity and growth in Berlin and Austin. And so I, I think within 60 days, they'll have figured out how to make up all the production that might be lost. But I think for sure we're going to see that in the quarter, and I don't think there's any spin on it. Uh, Elon Musk uh, just gave a shout out to the Tesla China team and the Shanghai factory, uh, talked about how it's been a record quarter on many levels. But this, the latest headline saying Tesla, Ross, is working on a dedicated robo-taxi with no steering wheel or pedals. Of course, you know, Elon Musk has, you know, talked quite boldly about things that will come in, in Tesla's future. And it, 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 many things have taken a while to come to fruition. Some haven't quite yet. But do you like the sound of that? Yeah, I do. And I think this is really more a byproduct of the convergence of the full self-driving technology, which is making a lot of progress currently, along with the idea of having a cheaper vehicle that would cost less money, like let's say $25,000 to $30,000 price point instead of fifty dollars to $60,000 price point. But instead of selling that cheaper vehicle, we've seen tremendous demand from the rental car companies for low-end Teslas, whether it be Hertz or others. And so I think Tesla's like, well, why should we make rental cars, you know, or, or robo taxis for everybody else, we should make them for ourselves. And especially this new vehicle, which is using the new battery cell technology. So what I suspect is that Tesla feels they can build low cost vehicles using all their technology in battery technology, as well as full self-driving to create this sort of master yellow cab um, without a human in it. And, and I think that that's a reality. It's just how long it'll take. And I think that's really been the, the, the challenge with Tesla. It isn't the vision. It's, it's how long it takes to achieve those visions. So, so I don't know how long that's going to take, but, but I wouldn't be betting against Elon. That's for sure. I'm betting with him and I'm betting more with him. Well, he's saying he hopes to reach volume production in 2024 and says this will be a massive driver of Tesla growth. Timing for us, interesting. I recently sat down with Aisha Evans, the CEO of Zooks, on the latest Studio 1.0. Zooks, of course, is the uh, self-driving robo-taxi company that Amazon bought for over a billion dollars. We're going to see a clip of that later in the show. Uh, Ross Gerber, Gerber Kawasaki, always good to have you and your uh, colorful opinions here on the show. Thank you for stopping by. We're going to get to our crypto report in just a moment, but Elon Musk speaking right now on the Tesla earnings call, saying that the first quarter was a record quarter on many levels, congratulating the Tesla's team despite facing many headwinds. Also giving a special shout out to the Tesla China team at that factory in Shanghai. He also says they're working on a new vehicle, a dedicated robo-taxi that won't have a steering wheel 
or pedals, but could be a massive driver of Tesla's growth in the future. We're continuing to monitor headlines from that call, and we'll bring you more as they roll in. Uh, to our crypto report now, I want to bring in Framework Ventures, a venture capital firm that has just raised $400 million for a fund focused on investing in early-stage crypto startups from gaming and Web3 to DeFi. Co-founder Michael Anderson joins me now. Uh, Michael, talk to us about the advantages of being a Web3 native venture capital firm and competing in an industry where most venture capitalists, uh, you know, go about their business in more traditional ways that they've been doing for decades. Yeah, it's, it's a great point and a great question. You know, one of the things that really, I think, separates us from traditional venture investors, especially investors in the Web3 space as well, is, is that we actually have more engineers on the team than we have venture investors. Uh, when we make an investment, we're participating by building alongside the investor, alongside the investments that we make and partnering at a really deep level to the founding teams that we're backing. And because of this, you know, we, we've been able to really help dictate the success of the investments that we make and, and really help understand where, where things are going from new opportunities before they arise and before anybody else can notice them. So what are those opportunities? You've just announced a $400 million fund to invest in new blockchain startups. You've got all kinds of money, including the traditional money, chasing these startups. You know, what do you believe is out there that's unique that they're not going to see? Yeah, so when we started Framework with our first fund in 2019, we were really, I think, one of the first firms to go bet the farm on DeFi. And, and DeFi has become commonplace at this point. It's really the, the, the core area of engagement for most of the applications that are being developed on top of Web3 currently. And what we see now, and especially with this new fund, is that blockchain-based gaming and, and what we see is the potential for blockchain-based gaming into the next couple of years is really the same opportunity that we saw with DeFi in 2019. It's it's really a unique opportunity to, to get these, these game developers that have been developing on consoles, on, on PCs, on mobile for the last 10, 20 years and, and build on a new form factor, which has advantages that just aren't, aren't possible in the ecosystems that they're used to today. All right. Well, we'll be watching to see where you make your next move. Framework Ventures co-founder Michael Anderson. Thanks for joining us. As we continue to monitor Tesla results, I spoke exclusively with Zook CEO Aisha Evans. The autonomous driving company recently bought by Amazon for over a billion dollars. This in the latest edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0. We talked about what it takes for to turn a startup into a global ride-hailing giant, including competing with Tesla. This is Silicon Valley. We. Uh you know, pay tribute to disruptors. Having said that, we're not exactly in the same business. We don't sell a car to people. We sell a ride to people. Our customers are not drivers, they are riders. And therefore, we use the same types of technologies, but they are in the car selling business. So how does Zooks fit into the future of Amazon? Well, that story is yet to be written. Uh, first of all, we, uh, we hope to deliver on the promise of a, a new segment and uh, sort of a, a big business uh, and be one of those in the tradition of, uh, of Amazon. We know there's a world of possibilities, but I tell everybody we first have to earn it, right? Before we talk about um, sort of synergies and possibilities and opportunities together, zero times anything is still zero and it will be for a long time. So we're focusing on building our business getting to market, and then there are, there's a myriad of possibilities of things we could do together. Is Zooks going to be dropping off my boxes? Is that what I should expect? 
Potentially, uh, if that's the right thing to do and if it makes sense to do so. But first, we're going to make sure to take you everywhere you need to go without having to worry about parking, having a car and so on. What's it like having Amazon as your boss? It's been good. We're an independent uh, subsidiary uh, of, uh, of Amazon. So yes, they are involved. We agree on what's going to happen, why it's going to happen. How often did you talk to Jeff Bezos or do you talk to Andy Jassy or maybe it's Dave Limp? Um, I don't talk to them that often. I mean, uh, we have a monthly business review or a quarterly business review. But no, it's not like I'm besties with them and we're on the phone and rapping and chatting, no. Well, you must know what their expectations are. What is Amazon expecting of Zooks? Execute, get to market, scale. And do you have the funding to do that? GM, Google, very well-funded competitors or fellow travelers, as you say. Are you getting what you need? Yes, more than what I need. Um, I'm, I, funding is not something I even uh, worry about. Mm, so what's it like to operate in that environment where money's not an issue? Well, I mean, you have to be careful, right? Because you also don't want to be a drunken sailor and uh, be like, oh, now I have... You still have to be very disciplined. Uh, you have to manage the phases of the business. We're like, okay, how do we execute? How do we make our milestones? How do we get to market? Were things organized properly? How do we hire? How do we retain? And so on and so forth. How do we stay mission-driven? The public seems to have lost interest in waiting around for self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. I rode in Google self-driving car in 20. 11. Wow. And I'm still waiting to be able to buy or just ride a self-driving car on demand. Why is it taking so long? I think in self-driving, first of all, the opportunity is so clear. Um, the, so the reach is so broad. We forgot that uh, big things do start small, one. Second, it's a hard problem to solve. Uh, we talk a lot about safety. Uh, and we talk, to, talk a lot about human error when it comes to driving. But we also forget that collectively, at least in the United States of America, humans collectively drive 100 million miles before ha having a fatality. That's a lot of miles. So humans are also pretty good. And the thing humans are good at, which is, hand I call it exception handling. We all know how to drive. If we were all fully autonomous, we'd be deployed already, but we're driving amongst humans, and you have to deal with so many little scenarios. There are so many things that you've been learning about driving since birth, and codifying that using AI sensors and, and computers is turning out to be a lot harder. You can catch much more of my conversation with Zook CEO Aisha Evans tonight, 9.30 Eastern on Bloomberg Television. The question, could a Zooks be delivering my Amazon packages one day? All that and more on this edition of Bloomberg Studio 1.0. I want to get back to the latest on Tesla's earnings call now and bring back our Ed Ludlow. And it's very interesting right. since Elon Musk just, just, just described what sounds a lot like a Zooks, saying right. that Tesla is working on a robo-taxi with no steering wheel, no pedals, neither of which Zooks have. This is a purpose-built robo-taxi. Tesla's working on mass production by 2024. He's had some criticism on the call as well, some questions or criticism about overpromising on full self-driving. But this purpose-built car seems the big takeaway. And he says this is going to drive massive growth by 2024. I mean, Elon has made bold predictions about timelines before. And he's got them wrong. I think, you know, this is happening in parallel with other stuff. So Cybertruck goes into mass production in 2023. They're continuing FSD beta. And Elon Musk's message was, 
if you're a Tesla owner, try FSD beta, but the future is fleet-based. You don't own your own vehicle. Sounds a lot like Zooks. So uh, the thing we haven't heard yet is anything about 420 or Twitter on the call no. yet, right? No. The only kind of curious thing, Musk didn't start the call. CFO Zach Kirkhorn did. And uh -huh. then Musk ma made very deliberate, prepared remarks, which is kind of not very Musk-like. So he didn't go off script He yet. didn't go off script yet. Better run back to my desk. Right. So, got a few, how long does the call go on for? It's about an hour, yeah. right? He's going to take questions from institutional investors, retail from retail investors. investors, from analysts. Right. That's where the riffing And somebody happen. has got to ask, what's going on with your Twitter bid, Elon Musk? They've I got hope to. So. I hope so. Well, it matters for Tesla investors. I mean, we've seen shares take a leg down right. since all of this drama started to unfold. And certainly, if you're a Tesla investor, maybe maybe you don't want Elon Musk to buy Twitter. And he's a busy guy. Is he distracted? That's another question. Like, how can he run all these companies right. and try and buy Twitter? Well, multitasking is certainly nothing new to Elon Musk. So right. there's certainly an argument to be made there. But we will be listening in for all the headlines. So stay tuned to Bloomberg Television for much more at Ludlow. Thank you. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology.